her vision stained red as blood ran into her eyes. She remained calm despite the pain of the thorns. She watched her blood drip, drip, drip. But that would be many years from now. Many years. Rose Garden, 19 years before the departure of the fateful Lakewall Caravan. Roshan stood in the gallery at Rose Garden, holding little Trianne in her arms. She'd hated this room as a child, but her mother had forced her to enter, to look at the paintings and at the tapestries. It was ironic that her own love of painting had grown from this, and that her own painting now graced these walls, depicting her mother's coronation. Roshan looked at the painting, her mother's face twisted in agony, the diadem of thorns on her head. Images depicting identical scenes filled the gallery. So many faces, all twisted in agony, blood flowing from their forehead. As a requirement to create such a monumental depiction, the painter is required to study with the historians at Rose Garden, study the history and subtext of the traditional depictions of the coronation. During Roshan's studies, all the historians had been men. Another irony. Which of them could truly understand the paintings of the matriarchy of the Lady of the Rose? Trianne had insisted on visiting the gallery despite her mother's warnings. When told it would be scary, Trianne requested to bring Yunmub. Yunmub was currently nothing more than a friend to Trianne, but when she was of age, she would become Trianne's official handmaiden. But that wouldn't be for some time, and for now, Roshan was simply thankful her daughter had a friend. Yunmub had been asked to wait in the doorway. This moment felt like one that should be shared between a mother and a daughter. Tran cowered and hid her head in the nape of her mother's neck. She peeked, holding her mother's red hair up like a veil to protect her from the grotesque images. They don't look happy, Trianne said quietly. Roshan chuckled. No, they don't, Trianne. Tran peeked again. Will you have to do that? She asked, speaking of the coronation. Roshan smiled. When she was younger, she'd asked herself the same question. She had three older sisters, and between all of them, they had 12 daughters, Trianne being the youngest. Roshan was 10th in line to the throne. I don't think so, Trianne. Trianne wiggled, signaling to her mother she wanted to be set down. She held onto her mother's leg and now stared at the painting of her grandmother. Sirla, the reigning lady of the rose, stared at the cavernous ceiling of the gallery, blood pouring down her face, her eyes narrowed and her mouth frozen in a cry of pain. Would you be scared? Trianne asked, looking up at her mother. Roshan looked at the painting. The symbolism would be lost on young Trianne. The coronation surely hurt, but not in the way depicted. The painting spoke of the pain and pleasure of ruling, the agony of childbearing, the joys of child rearing, the role of the Lady of the Rose. Perhaps, Roshan said, kneeling down. I was a little scared before I had you or any of your brothers or sisters. But somehow courage always finds me. Roshan gave a smile, and Trianne smiled back. Roshan now signaled for Unmub to come in, and the two girls hugged after only their short time apart, before beginning to chase after each other and stare at the many works in the gallery. Trianne had apparently brought in one of her many wooden swords and was playing her favorite game of knights and monsters. Roshan's smile was cut short by the commanding voice of her mother, Sirla, Lady of the Rose. Roshan, come. The war council prepares. 
Roshan patted Trian on the head as she passed, and followed her mother out of the gallery and towards the sprawling war room, which was now filled with stuffy people, stuffy books, and plans for war. The next time Roshan would enter the gallery, Trian's youth would be far behind her, and the walled war would be at its height. Rose Garden, 11 years before the departure of the fateful Lake Wall Caravan. The cathedral gates were closed. The escalation in the walled war had prompted Odros to make this desperate move. When Roshan got word she'd ridden back from the Western Channels to Rose Garden, there in the gallery stood all the grandchildren of the Lady of the Rose, dressed in travel garb and each assigned an ally to the Lady of the Rose. They stood with caregivers who would lead them away to safe harbor with these allies. The gates may be closed, but long had the Ladies of the Rose prepared secret routes outside the walls. These would be used to send the children away from the violence. The Lady of the Rose ruled the south and the Harvels ruled the north. For as long as anyone can remember, the two have been in conflict, but the disputes rarely escalate beyond skirmishes on borders. But this was different. When the Lady of the Rose had invaded North Lakewall, the Harvels did not simply defend, but retaliated. They called in an ally, the House of the Bear. Sirla had expected the war to be swift, but it was not so. All the children were to be sent to safety, even the boys. The Lady of the Rose commanded no two go to the same location, despite Roshan's protests. Sirla insisted it was for the protection of the bloodline. Roshan had eventually relented. During her goodbyes, Roshan eventually reached young Trion, who was now 11. She kissed her and ruffled Unmub's hair. She was glad her daughter would at least have a friend with her. Also, Yunmub's love of books seemed to be wearing off onto Trian. She was also glad to see that they were to be sent with Yelm, ruler of Domova Ironroot. Trian looked up and her lip quivered. Roshan expected her to ask not to be sent away, but instead, she looked up and said, The courage will find you. Tears poured down Roshan's face, and she hugged her daughter. You'll like Domova Ironroot, Roshan said. Yelm is one of the finest swordsmen in the realm. He will teach you everything he knows, I'm sure. Oh, she's already been asking me to, Yelm said. And so the children were flung to every corner of the continent. Their lives continued. They studied. They loved. They lost. Over two years, Lakewell became a memory. And all the while, the walled war raged on. After seeing the tragedy of the Orphans of the Deep, Roshan was glad her children were sent away. She watched her mother, the resilient and cunning Lady of the Rose, slowly change from fighting to liberate Lakewall to fighting to end its absolute destruction. By the end, the Lady of the Rose was attempting only to come to a truce with the bloodthirsty Harvels, who now felt justified in their brutality. It was only the Night of Three Storms that finally dampened the Harvels' appetite for violence. And so treaties were signed, and the children returned. It was here Roshan found her own agony. Her paintings never found her again. When she sat in front of the easel, she thought of nothing kind, nothing beautiful, and could not bear to look at the things that poured from her brush. More importantly, though, 
she realized her children were now flowers transplanted to a new garden. They lived, but they did not thrive. Roshan felt like she finally understood the painting she had made so many years ago. She asked her children to stay for one year, a time for them all to be together, and then they may return to their new lives. They stayed, and then they were gone. Even young Trian had taken a shining to the written word and had departed for Odros to become a slate. She took with her her faithful handmaiden, Yunmub. It was three years before the bloodshed. Sirla's fatal mistake had been assuming that the Harvel's lust for violence could ever be sated, that their appetite for violence could ever be dampened. For four years, the Harvels had plotted. When the sun dawned over Rose Garden, there were 15 heirs to the Diadem of Thorns, and when it set, there was only blood. The assassinations had been meticulous, professional, all flawlessly executed in a single day. They even got young Trian, tucked away safely in the halls of Holy Throne. She was found wearing her robes and veil, her throat slit and her blood on the stone. The Harvels denied all involvement, but were quick to breach the south's borders with their troops. This massacre had been years of planning, what must have been a small fortune and countless prayers to their ancient and secret gods. But they made an error, and this would be their undoing. The agony of all the visages that hung in the gallery would never rival the pain of the last heir, the sole remaining member of the bloodline, of the Lady of the Rose. Previously, it has been many months since Bishop Granite, the corrupt Bishop of Lakewall, hosted his fatal gathering, resulting in the chaotic death of many of his accomplices. To those that survived, he has promised great power, but the road to this power is not yet clear. Lakewall is a land still recovering from the terrible events of the Walled War, a civil war between the two ruling parties of the Wall. Tali and Whisper now ride away from the wall, but inside, Granite continues his scheme. Chapter 6 The Lady of the Rose Lakewall, two days after the departure of the fateful Lakewall caravan. A welcoming party stood outside of Hamlet Corpica. They all smiled, though none were as wide as Bishop Granite's. These smiles are facades, masks. They do not all hide the same deficiencies, secrets, or shame, but each of these smiles belongs to broken things. 
and Bishop Granite collects broken things. Every resident of Hamlet Corpica is bound to Granite by an invisible chain, a debt owed, a secret known, a choice made. With these chains, Granite manipulates and controls each one. As a man who has no shame of his own, he is not bound by any such chain, and this is his leverage. He hoards these broken things. Every smiling face in the cozy Hamlet Corpica is a monument to some extreme failing in their own life. And so, they are here. Granite and his inner circle stand in the front. Directly beside Granite were two people. The first was Marinet. He had thin black hair and steely eyes. Once a slate who had served the Cardinal of War in the Lower Wilds, he now served as Granite's right hand and adjutant. The other is the ever-anxious Sayant, the newest addition to Granite's inner circle. His grey eyes darted about and his pale hands twitched and fidgeted. It was clear that the other members of the inner circle did not like the presence of the grey-eyed man. Bishop turned as Goln Harvel, ruler of North Lakewall, joined the group. Stars guide you, Bishop Granite said, grinning and fidgeting, though it seemed to be due to excitement rather than anxiety. Goln simply grunted in response. Goln wore leather armor which bore the Harvel crest, a golden apple over a bundle of wheat. He glowered at the roadway which would soon bring more guests, clearly unhappy he was in the welcoming party. Farther back stood two of his children, Okov and Vanola, and his nephew, Dexton. Okov and Vanola also wore the family crest, but Dexton wore a suit of plate armor which bore an insignia of a silver skull over a bundle of wheat, the insignia of the Reapers. Dexton had recently taken the command of the Reapers, the military force of Northern Lakewall. He was the youngest ever to do so, being only 25 and was clearly not yet comfortable in the position. The appointment had been political, Golan attempting to appease his power-hungry brother. The Reapers were both enforcers and protectors of the people, and were feared throughout all of Lakewall. Marinay leaned in and whispered to Granite, The lady approaches. Granite clapped his hands together, seeing the plume of dust for himself. And which garage is it, Marinay? he asked eagerly. Granite had spent no small sum getting spies into the Lady of the Roses household. He'd always maintained some level of spies there, but since the sole heir had taken command, he had increased the number. Lately, he'd been particularly interested in the Lady's arrival for negotiations. He thought that distractions and games would confuse her, soften her, weaken her. After gathering all the information he could, he developed a ploy to have servants present the arriving carriage with trays filled with sweets and refreshments, as well as gifting the lady with a book of love poems. The informants had learned that the lady distanced herself from stereotypical feminine appearances. The bishop was giddy to enact his juvenile design. There will be three carriages. The first carries her advisors, the last some nobles, and the middle gilded in gold, will be hers. It is nearly an identical construction to your own, Marinay whispered. Good, Granite said. Good. It was only a few moments before the sound of hooves was heard. The lady arrives, Marinay said. The procession crested the hill, 
Before anything else came into sight, the banners of the lady could be clearly seen, snapping in the wind, regal and defiant. Each depicted a single rose growing amidst the carnage of a battlefield. Leading the procession was a formation of knights on horseback. They wore armor that was dinged, dulled, and well acquainted with combat. Their leader was dressed in dark gray armor and wore an impressive and imposing blade. Obviously of custom make and some cost, it sported a black scabbard and a strangely long black hilt. It was not ornate, but it was clearly the work of fine craftsmanship. As predicted, there were three carriages in total. The procession stopped, and Granite waddled towards the golden carriage. Three of the knights who led the procession dismounted. Each of the reapers took an imposing step forward. The knights did not waver, but they also did not stop Granite. Granite leered at the leader in dark gray, turned and signaled for his attendants carrying his false gifts to follow, and approached the middle carriage. He confidently flung open the door without waiting. Welcome, Lady of the Rose. I trust you will enjoy your time here. Please try some of these simple tarts. I must say that I have similar tastes. The bishop stopped as he noticed something was wrong. There were only two people in the carriage. A man wearing a veil over their eyes, simple gold and white robes, and a look of surprise at the sudden intrusion. The other was a tall, balding man dressed in black robes and wearing a silver chain with silver dice at the end. He scowled at Granite. A slate and a mage of the die, not the Lady of the Rose. Granite stepped away from the carriage, confused, and was startled to find the knight in grey was standing right behind him. Where is she? He sneered. The knight removed their helmet and a tie from their hair, allowing a mess of red to spring free. I'm right here, Granite, she said. Forgive me for the confusion. I don't like being tucked away in carriages. I'd rather lead my people than be pampered by them. Ah, young Drian, the Lady of the Rose, Granite said. Look at these scars on your face. The years have not been kind. Young Trien stared at Granite. Her eyes, once vibrant and full of questions, were now hardened and calculating. It had been five years since her family's murders. Five years since she'd taken rule of South Lake Wall. She'd been only 20 at the time. Trien's survival had shocked everyone. It had taken three days for the realization to be made that the body found in her chambers was not her, but that of her faithful handmaiden, Yudmub. It had always been Yudmub who had loved to read, and so the two friends had formed a scheme. The traditional garb of the slate, the hood, the veil, and the shield made it easy for Trian and Yudmub to switch places. No one, not even Trian's own family, had known. And so, when the assassinations were carried out, it was poor Yunmub who had been killed. Only a select group of people knew the true location of Trian. By some miracle or political design, Dumava Ironroot was notified, and Yelm had rode immediately to Hollow Throne to retrieve Trian. Hollow Throne, the prison mountain. I see my fellow rulers have already arrived, Trian said, turning to the Harvels, their faces now twisted into sneers of disdain as they realized the ploy. She beckoned to one of her knights and pointed to the tray of sweets. The knight approached and removed his helmet. 
She was an older man with a short white beard and the grizzled face of someone who had seen more combat than they'd seen life. He lifted a pastry, snipped it, licked it, and finally tasted it. He nodded. Tria nodded back and took a pastry. She gestured casually in the weathered man's direction. I introduce my knight commander, the longest military advisor to the ladies of the Rose, Selud. Excuse me for the confusion, Trian, Bishop Granite said. We simply expected that someone of your condition would simply ride in a carriage, unless the rumors of your good fortune are false. Since taking the throne, rumors of her producing an heir had been as constant as the rumors about her internment in Hollow Throne. None were true. Dran picked up one of the small tarts and ate. False, she said between bites. It's difficult to get fucked when you are constantly on guard for assassins and treachery. She turned and looked at the Harvels and raised her eyebrows. Although, this lot have been trying to fuck me for years, and I dare say they would be quite disappointed were I to actually mother an heir. There was stunned silence. Dexton mumbled, You wish. His voice cracked and his face turned scarlet. Trianne laughed a dry and biting laugh, turning back to Granite with a grin. The awkwardness of the young commander and the confidence of his opponent, the same age as him, made clear the gap between the two. That gaudy carriage may seem fit for a ruler, but it was simply a prize I won gambling at Chance Caldale. Our companion was eager to ride in it, so I allowed it. We will sell it soon, if anyone is willing to buy such a monstrosity. Bishop Granite furrowed his brow at this. Careful with gambling, Golm Harville said in his gravelly voice. Last I heard, your grandmother's gambit didn't work out. Golm, the Lady of the Rose won every bet she ever made. The only time she ever lost was when you cheated. Allegations, Golm Harville said. We mourn the death of your dear grandmother, despite our differences. But I digress. Cheating or not, a loss is a loss. Tran turned and stared at Golm. The others wilted under her gaze, but he stood firm. She turned to Granite. We convene tonight? She asked. Hmm? Yes, yes, in the dining hall, Granite said, still clearly confused by the whole event. Then I shall retire, Trian said, turning as she grabbed yet another tart. Before you depart, a gift, Granite said with a mischievous grin. He held forth the book of poems. Trian turned and smiled. Reflections on Passion Volume 4? She feigned surprise. Why, Granite, I've heard this volume is all the rage in Vocaster and Eskia, and rare. It must have cost a small fortune. I have long desired to read this, but could not spare the coin. Granite blinked once, then twice, his mouth stupidly hanging open. The adjutant, Marinade, lowered his head into his hands, now clearly understanding the entire display. Many, including the bishop, had long wondered why the lady was coming herself instead of sending an emissary to these negotiations. It was now clear that she was not here for the negotiations. She was here to send a message. Every piece of intelligence that they had retrieved about the arrival had not only been false, but had clearly been planted. Trian had the upper hand the entire time. She was not riding into an ambush. She was the ambush. I thought... I thought, Bishop mumbled, clearly not able to hide his confusion and disappointment. Trian looked from him to the Harvels, to the book, to her knight commander, Salud, and then said quietly, Well, 
you quite clearly have not, and left with Selud at her side. She had enjoyed the sweets, but the book, that was for Unmub. Oh, how she'd loved those books of poems. Soon, Unmub, Roshan, my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and Sirla, my grandmother, I will have revenge, Trian thought to herself. As Trian left, one set of eyes could not bear to look at her. Sayut's eyes darted to the ground, and he seemed almost panicked. But Marine, the adjutant, watched her carefully. His eyes shone, and he licked his lips as he watched her disappear into Hamlet Corpica. The tension at the dinner was palpable. This was the second time the dining room had been used of late, and each guest had either been present or heard stories of the last time. The only person who seemed calm was Trian. Granite sat at the foot of the table with his adjutant Marinet beside him. While Bishop drank and ate, Marinet seemed to simply sip from his small cup, while his eyes carefully watched every inch of the room. On one side of the table sat the Harvels. Golm, Dexton, Okov, and Vanola sat in the center and were flanked by multiple reapers who were all dressed in full plate mail. Dexton stood and watched them all. Trian's side was nearly empty. She brought only three guests, Selud, the Slate, and the Mage of the Die from the Golden Carriage. It was clear to all why the Mage of the Die was present. He was one of the reasons the Harvels didn't simply take it upon themselves to finish what they'd started five years ago and slit Trian's throat. No one wanted to mess with the mages. He was Trion's insurance. The first course was served, and negotiations began. As happened every time, they quickly fell apart. The supposed purpose of the meeting was to try and find peace between the two groups, but usually it was simply an opportunity for the two sides to insult each other. If anything, it fueled the conflict. Trion, in her five years of rule, had never attended, but instead had sent others in her stead. It became clear that her calm demeanor and short, witty retorts were only worsening the rage of the Harvels. The bishop called for silence. Please, can we not for once try to work together? Bishop said, unable to keep a smirk off his face. I see a way forward. We must simply come to an understanding. Work together? This woman's family has sought to destroy us for generations, Okob hissed, standing and gesturing at Trion. She does not deny it. Even now, she conspires against the hardworking laborers of our fields, simply working to provide for their family, church, and home. These southerners despise us. These southerners despise our way of life. Be seated. Be silent, Bishop growled. The Harvels obeyed. The bishop had been partnered with the Harvel since taking his position. He took a cut of their crops and was given access to their reapers. In return, they were given political influence through granite to direct decisions back in Odros. They did not have the diplomatic skills to do this on their own. Bishop Granite, I come here seeking peace for my people, Trian said. I understand that, Granite responded, nodding and sitting up straighter. This tension has gone on long enough. I have news that might interest both parties. Considering the feud between your people and constant bloodshed, I am bringing in a mediator. Bishop paused and leaned back. He stared at Trion, but was disappointed to see that she did not squirm. And what would this mediator be? 
Trianne asked, already knowing the answer. Her agents had informed her weeks ago. Five Hune battalions and a portion of Odrossian military, Granite said, simply to ensure peace. The Harvels made a show of nodding and agreeing to this, as though they were not involved in the plan. Such a simple ploy. With Granite and the Harvel's forces combined, they could overthrow a southern lake wall and usurp the Lady of the Rose. All eyes turned to Trianne. She sipped her wine and now also feigned thinking. An intriguing offer, but no. I have a counteroffer, though. Perhaps you should all crawl back to whatever holes you came out of and die. It's happening with or without your approval, damn you, Golan said, standing up with a grunt. Your stranglehold on this fine land is done. Even if Odrasian forces occupy Lakewall, Trian started. Reinforce Lakewall, Granite interjected. Trian tilted her head and hummed. Reinforce. Interesting. Revered slate of the law, Jilndurg, what might the law say about such a thing? I expect not much, but I am a little curious. The slate seated with the lady rose and cleared his throat. As so it is written in the law of Odros, which are superseded only by the word of the Sedan and Holy Shell. Any forces of Odrosian military to move through the cathedral gates and reinforce the existing military stationed therein are subject to a vote of the people of the land. If not in a time of emergency or a time of war, this vote must be called and the residents of the lands given a season to return home to cast their votes. This is decreed and any breach of this subject is penalty to death and denial of being laid in the stone. Joan Durg nodded as though reinforcing his point and then sat back down. Oh, I guess that won't be happening then, Trianne said. The Harville side of the table exploded in confusion and anger. They stood and shouted. Trianne stayed seated and sipped her drink. Granite, you said this was done, Golan said. Not even an attempt at conspiracy. Fools. Each and every one of them. Granite ignored the shouting, his eyes still fastened to Trianne. She noticed his gaze. He did not seem surprised. He did not seem upset. She got a chill. I understand. The law is the law, Granite said. Our Lord of Deepstone has given us such ways to govern ourselves on land and they are not to be forsaken. He leaned back in his chair and shook his head. I thought it would be best to offer. I understand it would be dishonest, but I thought, given the lack of workers in your field, so many young workers who would have been a part of your workforce, all orphans of the deep, shipped off to Odros. And there is, of course, your military situation. Trianne sat up straight, her right hand clenched around the hilt of her blade, her knuckles white. And what military situation is that? She asked. Her voice revealed nothing. The rumors may be wrong, Bishop continued shaking his head, but I'd heard that you've begun farming settlements just outside the web, near the border de Eskia. I was of the understanding that you've moved a chunk of your forces in secret to these settlements. This leaves you vulnerable, no? Well, I am sure with your great military prowess, you would be fine with such a reduced force against whatever attack the Harvels might be able to muster. Only one person revealed anything on Trian's side. The mage of the Dai's face went white, and he looked to Trian. Clearly, these allies had not been informed. 
Trian was silent. She pushed back her chair and stood, but as she did, a servant had been passing with a jug of wine. There was a shriek, a gasp, and suddenly Trian found herself covered in wine. It was a true accident, which was clear from the way the attendant groveled and apologized, constantly looking at Granite in absolute fear. Granite and the Harvel seemed more than overjoyed at such a juvenile display as someone accidentally getting soaked in liquid. Trian stayed silent. She looked down. Her vision stained red as wine dripped to the floor. She remained calm despite the pain of the collision. She looked up and met Granite's eyes. This was his true ambush. The reveal that he knew of her settlements. This she had not expected. She was unprepared. The only other person in the room who had not seemed shocked by this news was the adjutant Marinay. Trian wiped her eyes clean, and the diplomat in her reared its head. If someone flies my banner above the wilds, I will do my duty to Odras and investigate. They dishonor me. They dishonor the church. I appreciate all your patience in these discussions. I appreciate the Harvels coming despite the terrible deeds exchanged between our families. I depart now to clean myself of this wine, and I leave to investigate these rumors at sunrise. I will, of course, have my allies bolster my numbers inside the walls. Domova Ironroot will be sending their finest within a few days. Bishop Granite, I take my leave. Good evening. Trian turned and left, not waiting for her entourage. When she was out of eyesight, she let her hands shake. She wanted to ride to the Rose Garden tonight. She wanted to be there and prepare the troops for whatever conflict was surely coming. But no, do not show your weakness. She proceeded to the baths. Marinay watched her leave and licked his lips. She thought she was so smart. She thought she was so much smarter than Bishop Granite. She may have escaped his first ambush, but she had fallen directly into his second. Well, on to the third. Trion had always found solace in the public bathhouses of Odros and Domova Ironroot. The practice had never taken hold in Southern Lakewall. She had considered constructing one herself, but could not justify the expense. Hamlet Corpica housed what was probably the sole bathhouse of traditional Odrosian construction in all of Lakewall. The water trickled and reverberated through the massive, steamy room. The trickle of water, the stone. She'd hoped it would take her back to the days in Odros's capital, Ashenfall, sitting and joking with Nmub after a hard day's ride. Instead, it took her back to Hollow Throne. Hollow Throne is a mountain deep in Mountain Wall that serves as both the largest mine for nodestones in the land and the main place Odros jails its criminals. Inside is only cruelty, treacherous winding tunnels, endless chasms, and the liturgical wails of the forgotten and wretched lawbreakers. In the depths of Hollow Throne, clothed with only rags, armed with only a pickaxe, Trian had seen the Pale Lady. Her grandmother had warned her of this spectral image for years. Sirla warned her that if she saw the Pale Lady, she should run. If she couldn't run, she should fight. She ran. Her squad had called for her to stop, but still she ran. She ran until she could run no more, and then she hid. The Pale Lady was there with each step. 
always around each corner, always watching. The pale lady isn't there to kill you. She's there to witness your death, her grandmother had warned. The assassin might not have been able to find Trian, but the pale lady did. And so Trian was there with the omen of her death, but no death to be found. It was nearly a week before Yelm found Trion in the depths of Hollow Throne. At this point, the Harvels had already publicly begun to take control of Southern Lake Wall, thinking every heir dead. Who would ever stop them? When Rover and Yelm found her, she refused to leave. So he told her. He told her there, in the filth and the dark and the squalor of Hollow Throne, he told her of her family's massacre. He held her while she wept. He let her weep until there were no more tears left to fall. Trion opened her eyes and she was back in the bathhouse. She was hugging herself and realized the water running down her face was simply from the steam. She never should have been there. No, no one, not even her family had known. To this day, only a handful of people in the world even know why. Such a small technicality that had saved her life. She remained and they were gone. Even Porian Mub. Oh, poor soul. She had always been the one more interested in the teaching of the slate. Trian had always enjoyed combat. She loved training with swords and Dumbaba iron roots, sparring with Yalm. When she had brought up the idea to Unmub that they trade places and she secretly be the one who trained with the slate, her dear friend had wept. She had not known that she wept for her own death. Trian had cried nearly as much for Unmub as she had for her whole family. She had been responsible for the death of Yunmub. After Yelm had let Trian cry, he had whisked her away to Ironroot, the diadem of thorn, the brooch of the rose, and a switch cut from the ancient willow that grew at Rose Garden were all retrieved and brought to Domova Ironroot. This was done with the greatest of secrecy. Favors and debts that had accrued for generations were called in and all the while the Harvels remained unaware that their plot had failed, that a single petal remained in the flower that they had decimated. Trian had worn a dress, though she couldn't remember whose. As the diadem was brought forward, she remembered her mother and those tapestries and paintings. She'd been 15th in line to the throne at the time, and had never once, not even at that age, considered that she would one day be one of those figures, bleeding, trapped in eternal torment and ecstasy. There was no artist here for the official portrait of the coronation, but Trianne was now old enough to understand the symbolism in the painting for herself. She wasn't so sure about the ecstasy part, but she did know that she would be trapped in agony as the ruler of Southern Lake Wall. The diadem itself was so simple. The thin metal depicted thorns and leaves twisting around one another in a circlet. It was adorned with small jewels and one large ruby. In the front, two cruel-looking thorns curled down and towards the wearer. Trian had stared at it, terrified. And then the courage found her. They allowed Yelm to perform the ceremony. In the bathhouse, Trian now knelt, pulling a jug close to wash the wine from her hair. Trian, seventh of the wilted rose, kneel. She knelt. Trian. Seventh of the Wilted Rose, will you rule over the people? I will. The diadem had been placed on her head. She felt the razor-sharp thorns pierce her. She did not wince. She was instructed to raise her hands, and she did. A silver bowl was placed in them. Hold it still, Yam said quietly before continuing. 
Trian, seventh of the Rose, will you bleed for the people? I will. Yalm hit Trian's head with the switch cut from the willow. The metal thorns cut into her head with an excruciating jolt. Her hands, which now held the silver bowl, trembled only so slightly. Her vision stained red as blood ran into her eyes. She remained calm despite the pain of the thorns. She watched her blood drip, 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 as though it was a dream. The bowl caught the blood. Finally, Yelm took the bowl. A priest standing nearby bowed his head, and Trianne felt the wounds on her head close. Healing magic was rare to use due to the cost to the priest, but it was customary for this event. Selud, the long-running commander of the ladies' armies, and an old man even then, had personally led a force to retrieve the brooch. He brought it forward and handed it to Yelm. Trian had seen the brooch pinned to her grandmother's chest her entire life. Even when she was in plate mail, it was attached via some mechanism she had engineered. Instead of its normal vibrant ruby red, it was clear. It appeared a simple glass trinket. Trian, seventh of the rose, will you lead the people, lead in the truth of the Church of Deep Stone, and in the battle for the protection for your lands? I will. Yelm poured the blood from the bowl into the small opening at the top of the brooch. The blood filled the glass petals and the vibrant red returned. Yelm handed the brooch to the priest and closed his eyes. There was an acrid smell of glass melting and blood burning. The brooch was sealed. All at once, Trian felt like she was suddenly weaker. A part of her strength was sequestered, reserved for something. But she also felt stronger, like she had gained something. Something forgotten, but long remembered by each of the Ladies of the Rose, was now hers. <sighs> Trianne stood, pulled abruptly from her reflection, pulled from her remembrance, and yet again back to the bathhouse. Gone was the diadem, though its weight remained. She was just a naked woman in some bathhouse. She stood and stretched. Rise, Lady of the Rose, she said to herself as she stretched, finishing the last part of the coronation. Her attention was now on the next chamber of the bathhouse, and gone was the remembrance. But what was to remember? Following her coronation, she'd ridden immediately for Lake Wall. The trip that would normally take two days had been completed before the sun rose the next morning. She claimed her throne. News had already spread of her previous location. Trianne? Imprisoned in Hollowthrone? Could a criminal become Lady of the Rose? The objections had been mild, though. The Harvel's forces had already caused havoc in the land, and the people were glad for any protector. Shortly after the coronation, an official script had been delivered from Odros, declaring Trianne the rightful ruler. The issue had been officially handled, but the question had always remained. Why was Trianne in Hollow Throne? Trianne had no time to deal with that. Since taking the throne, she had fought with the Harvels and secretly with Bishop Granite constantly. And her conflict would be over soon. Trianne looked in the direction of the noise. Hello? Trianne called out. There was no reply. She walked carefully. Weaponless and naked, this was a less-than-ideal situation. Well, if the Harvels wanted to ambush her, they were in for more than a surprise. 
Due to the hour, it was unlikely that any residents of the hamlet were here. She rounded the corner and through the steam she could see a large man sitting with his head up. He sat surrounded by bouquets of flowers and the room was filled with a sickly sweet odor. Her mind twitched. Hello? No response. A part of her wanted to flee, but the courage found her. The man remained still as she neared. The flowers also covered his body, a strange ritual. A tall man stood over the other, but was shrouded in the mist. He looked up, and even from here, Trian could see that his eyes were completely gray, nearly black. He gasped, turned, and fled. What was happening here? She was now directly behind the seated man. Flowers, vines, and leaves snaked around his body. He remained still. He said nothing. He did not even seem to breathe. Trion's mind twitched again, calling her to arm herself. She stepped in front of the man and gasped. Dexton Harville sat lifeless, fist clenching the stone bench, bloodshot eyes staring upward in terror. Stems, leaves, and flowers protruded from every orifice and also pierced through his skin. Trion staggered back in shock. What was this? Sire? A man, clearly Dexton's servant, came around the corner. Trian turned and their eyes met, but still in shock, she said nothing. The servant's eyes looked from his master's body, distorted in the steam, a fatal bouquet of wildflowers and thorns riddling his body, back to Trian. He stumbled back and held a hand up. Witch! He hissed and drew a blade. Seeing a woman, naked and unarmed, he charged with a hateful howl and no second thought. Trianne instinctively reached her mind out to that small part of herself that was reserved, now bound to the brooch of the rose, bound to her rule. She made a request of that hidden strength she had called on so many times before now. She now held, blooming blood, the remembered blade. The sword manifested in Trianne's hand, and she swiftly deflected the oncoming blow. The servant stumbled back, now staring in horror at the blade that had appeared from thin air. It was ornate and had a piece of metal that wrapped around the blade, shaped like a stem with thorns. It looked impressive, but it made the blade less effective in actual combat. The pommel was a ruby shaped like a rose. The servant attacked again, wild and erratic, driven by hatred and adrenaline. Trian sensed the danger in the combat, in her situation, and knew she must end it as soon as possible. The servant gurgled in shock as her blade found his throat, and he fell. As Trian stepped forward to ensure he was dead, she saw the grey-eyed man from earlier lurking in the mist. What in the abyss is happening here? She asked, closing the gap between them. She stopped when she noticed. It was not the grey-eyed man. She stood face to face yet again with the pale lady. You again, she mumbled. I'm sort of busy right now. So, you can see her too. Most curious. Most curious. Trian jumped back as another figure emerged from the steam. Marinay, the adjutant to Bishop Granite, grinned as he approached. He looked from the pale lady to Dexton's corpse to the servant on the ground... To Trion. His eyes finally settled on blooming blood, and he licked his lips. A blade that knows true blood, he said quietly. 
How many people are in this bathhouse? Trian asked dryly. I didn't kill him, you know. Dexton? No. I believe this is the work of that gray-eyed man, Sayut. Though I didn't think he had it in him. But I did see you run that poor sod through. So it's a setup. A plan to jail me? Try to send me back to Hollow Throne? I'd die first. And I'm sure you've heard. I don't die easily, Trion said. You and I both know you were in Hollow Throne of your own volition. Stop being dramatic, Marinay said. He seemed distracted by Dexton's corpse. He didn't look uncomfortable. He looked infatuated. Trian stopped herself from shuddering. How had he known that she had been in Hollow Throne of her own will? Something about this man was deeply unsettling. Did Bishop Granite send you? Marinus scoffed, and for the first time, his focus seemed to be on Trion. I am here of my own volition. Here, cover up. He tossed her a simple robe. You're more distracting than the corpse. It was clear by his glances at the corpse that this was not true. Trian stared at the man, sizing him up. Blooming blood vanished as quickly as it had appeared. What do you want? She asked. The pale lady had now also vanished into the mist. The witness of Dexton's death was complete, and Trian and Marinay were alone. I have simple requests, and we have not much time. First, this is yours. Take it. It's the sum you paid for the assassination of Bishop Granite. This is a service that cannot be rendered, and I warn you, find a new path of revenge. Of late, it seems that Granite also does not die easily. Trion took the bag of coins and looked back at Marinay. So he had been the assassin they had been told was close to the bishop. I'm confused, Trian said, honestly. And so you shall remain. You cannot discern me, Lady of the Rose. I am not of your moles. There are followers, he gestured to Dexton, and there are leaders. He gestured to Trion. And there is me, singular in my designs, formless in my intentions. I will not tell you what I want. I will use you as a tool before you flee. And why would I flee? I will give you a moment to consider, Marinay said. But only a moment. Time runs short. Trian looked over to Dexton's body and then to the body of the servant, his blood now mingling with the water. The murder of Dexton was so bizarre. She remembered that there had long been rumors about the Ladies of the Rose using strange magics. Trian sighed. Can you at least tell me how framing me with murder lets them bring their troops in? Marinay frowned. This is the right question. I, however, give no answers. Consider what has happened here and consider that although you are directly involved, this is not about you. Run. You must run. Oh, but to where? That is the key. Excellent. Riddles instead of answers. You must be a sage of some sort. Thank you, Trion replied. But the man's words did stick in her mind. Marinay smiled a thin smile. I cannot read the stars in the sky, but I can see the pieces on the board, Lady of the Rose. Now, run. 
And so Trion turned and left. She was quick in her departure, rousing only Jaelud to leave with her. For a moment, she thought of simply fleeing, fleeing it all. But then the courage found her. Oh, mother. Oh, grandmother. Oh, dear and mum. Vengeance. Vengeance for each of you. Trian and Jalud rode hard for a secret place that only the roses knew of. One of the secret places that had taken the children outside the wall all those years ago. Trian was unsure of what exactly Bishop's ill machinations were, but it was clear that they were well underway. They rode hard, and even in the dark, Jalud could see Trian's face twisted into agony. The Lady of the Rose rode into the dark. Thank you for listening. Everything you hear in this show is created by me, Adam Ganong. Every word written, every note played. If the work I am doing here has brought you some joy, some comfort, some entertainment, please consider supporting a solo creator on Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes down below. The Stone Singer Chronicles art is by Peter Bartel. Thank you, Peter. There is a link to his website in the show notes. A special thanks to my wife, Jenna Noor, and my friend, Destructobot. Join the Stonesinger Chronicles Discord to get extra information about the show and officially earn your rank as the Mage of the Third Bond. Again, link to that in the show notes down below. All right, and until next time. Adjutant reached out and gently touched the face of Dexton Harville, now graying in stiff from death. A beautiful death, simple in design, but to such great effect. Whispers of the Ladies of the Rose possessing a sort of wild magic had long been a rumor in the land. Nonsense, of course. Very typical of Granite to desire a murder that would mirror these suspicions when he framed the Lady. Marinay had expected something staged, but this, this was real. Oh, that devious gray-eyed bastard, say it. He claimed innocence, and yet he cooked up something like this? The strange powers that man meddled with were truly magnificent. Something in the back of Marinay's mind twitched. Jealousy? Envy? Oh, he could do so much better than this. He licked his lips and his hand shook. Could he pull it off? One simple killing here in the hamlet would surely go unnoticed. No one would know except the bishop that Marinay had spun his web, satisfied his hunger. He looked down and realized he'd absentmindedly drawn one of his many small, razor-sharp blades he wore hidden on his person. No, he would not kill here. But soon... Soon the spider would feast. The pale lady would watch. He smiled, 
reached up the blade and carefully cut off a piece of flesh riddled with thorns and a few flowers. A memento. Not his kill, but one surely that should be remembered. And Sayut was probably currently drinking to forget. Marinate chuckled as he turned and disappeared into the mist. <laughs> 